Thank you, choir. And I pray it is well with your soul. As of last Monday at 10 minutes after 9 a.m., First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs, is out of debt. So, amen. And uh, I'm interested in paying no interest. And I want to tell you something. Um, with grateful heart and gratitude, I say that that debt was paid off by God's people through the years, through 2005. If you ever given to our building fund, which was basically a debt retirement fund after we signed the note, signed the loan, you were used by the Lord to pay that debt off. And I want to say thank you on behalf of the, the balance of your church family. Thank you. Brothers and sisters paid for that, and uh, God blessed through the years. I never once uh, lost a sleep over it. Uh, whether or not we'd be able to make the note. When we called Jay and Cole, I said, you may do without a salary one week, but uh, we'll be fine. No, I, the Lord always provided and always blessed, and we're moving forward. You ought to see some activity on roofing going on. Uh, maybe, Don, if I'm correct, within the next couple of weeks, something like that, and um, watch out for roofing nails when you come in. Uh, so... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, and we move forward. Well, now let's get down to the business at hand. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 16. 2 Timothy chapter, or 2 Samuel chapter 16. Oh, me. You say, preacher, you're jumping ahead. What's next is not 2 Timothy. What's next when we get past 2 Samuel is the book of James, if the Lord wills, okay, if the Lord wills. I'm working through the book of James, and I'm going to let the Lord convict me and whoop up on me, and then we're going to let it whoop up on you, amen? All right, but uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16, if you are a first-time guest today, we're preaching verse by verse through 2 Samuel. And we've covered a lot of ground. And while we try to make every message stand on its own, um, sometimes we kind of got a little, we got to have a little preview of what's happened before. David has sinned, and as a result of his sin, his family life has fallen apart through the years. Some sins will do that. Sometimes the consequences of our sin are not only by God's direct hand, but sometimes our sins influence others and wreak havoc in lives. And so it did with David. Namely, he has a son named Absalom, who is now the heir to the throne because he has murdered the one who was before him. Basically, neither one of them were promised the throne. That would belong to a young nine-year-old boy by the name of Solomon. 
He's nine years old at the time of our text. But Absalom wants to be king, and he has rebelled against his father as father, and he has rebelled against his father as king as well. And he's seizing the throne. And by trickery and deceit and conniving and stirring up discord and insinuation, he has turned the hearts of enough people in Israel toward him that he is ready to launch a coup against David. And David hears the news one evening. The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And we saw last week where David began to flee. And we talked about the people who went with David as he fled Jerusalem, crossed the brook Kidron, ascended up to the Mount of Olives, and goes to Baharim, Baharim, and that's where he is. I want to remind you that one of the sons of Saul, the descendant of family members of Saul, not a direct son, but a, a family member of Saul, is on the ridge throwing rocks and cursing David as he's fleeing. Remember that guy? And uh, our good friend Abishai, Joab's brother, is with David, and he's very spirited, and he says, David, why is this dog allowed to curse you and throw rocks at you? Let me go up there and cut off his head. Remember that guy? And David says, what am I going to do with you? We want to be gracious. Let, let, him, let him go at it. The Lord may use this. And um, that's where David is. And then he hears the news of verse 15. Or while David, I'm sorry, while David was out on the run, tired and weary, having all those people with him, meanwhile, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, verse 15 takes place. And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Things do not look good. David is weary and tired, disorganized, disheveled, disrupted, on the run. It's late and he's tired and his people are tired. And Absalom enters with great pomp into the city of Jerusalem. David's out there trying to find some soft place to lay his head. Absalom is occupying his palace that his daddy, King David, built. Ahithophel, the great counselor. We're going to see where in our text where Ahithophel's counsel was as if God himself was speaking. And he's in terrible straits, David is. Things look dire. Things look dangerous. It just doesn't look good for David right now. He's behind in the polls. And things aren't going his way. And so, we have our text. But if you recall, David had sent some men back to Jerusalem. A fellow by the name of Hushai. He sends back to Jerusalem. Hushai comes saying, David, I'm with you. You're my friend. I'm with you. But David said, you will do no good for me out here. I need you to go back into the palace and stand up for me in the palace. Two of the priests come and they bring the Ark of the Covenant, the sign and symbol of the presence of God 
upon Israel's army in battle. And he sends them back and says, Your son, Jonathan and Abiathar, go back and stand for me back in Jerusalem. And so what we saw last week was those who were with the king. Today we're going to see some lessons about those who stand up, stand up for David. You might not have ever sung that hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for David, but you just sang, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And so I want to talk to you today about what will happen if you stand up for Jesus in the lion's den. In the ogre's den, where these men would find themselves, where Hushai especially would find himself. If things didn't go right, these men would have been killed. They would have been executed. They would have lost their heads. But they loved David. And they loved the kingdom. And they had faith in God. And they stood up, stood up for David. Now folks, I want to tell you. If you are living and breathing and are a born-again Christian in this world, in this place, in 2024, you need to be standing up for Jesus. There's just no doubt about it. Christian people are going to have to do some standing. Now, next week we're going to talk about a battle. It's one of my favorite messages that that I'm going to get to preach through this text. It's about the battle. It ends up very sad, but, but um, I just like it. I love military history, and it, 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 I really like it. <laughs> and uh, we're, going to, we're going to sing an old song that churches quit singing years ago. Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to sing an old hymn called Onward Christian Sissies. <laughs> Is that what we're going to sing? Onward Christian Soldiers. And we're going to see the men going out to war for David. But today, we're in the palace. And we're standing before Absalom. And we're watching Hushai. And we're seeing some things happen that that are amazing in the world of spycraft and intrigue. And it's an amazing story that takes place in our text. And I hope it encourages you to stand up for Jesus. But I hope it gets real personal, too, because maybe there's someone here, you, or you, or you, or you, that is in a situation. You have a a problem. You have an issue. You have a circumstance. You have a friend, a relative, a loved one. A situation in life where you're just going to have to stand for Jesus. There's no way around it. It's either going to be devastating results or it's going to be delightful results. It's either going to be a blight or a blessing when it's all said and done. It's going to be terrible or it's going to be terrific. But either way, you know that you just have to stand for Jesus. And you just have to flat-footed do what is right. And you're in the lion's den. You're in the ogre's den. You're there. The old cyclops is wanting to eat you up. And you just got to stand for what's right and stand for Jesus. And if you do, there's three things that God will give you. 
for the victory. Three things that God will give you. Come what may, whether it's all a disaster or it's all delightful, God will give you these three things and work out His will. I'm going to give you those three things, and then I'm going to give you four lessons we learn from the text, and so let us begin. The first thing God will give you when you stand for Jesus is He'll give you wisdom. God will give you wisdom. Absalom has come into the palace. He has multitudes with him. The great counselor Ahithophel is with him. The man never misses. He always gives accurate advice. And then verse 16 takes place. And it came to pass when Hushai the archite, the one David sent back, David's friend was come unto Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this thy kindness to your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend, David? Why didn't you go with my father David's, what he's asking? And Hushai said unto Absalom, Nay, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his will I be, and with him I will abide. And again, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in thy father's presence? So will I be in thy presence. And those first few verses, we see that God will give you, just like he gave Hushai, the wisdom of discourse. Wouldn't you say when you're in a predicament and you need to stand for Jesus, one of the first things you're concerned about is exactly what you need to say? You just don't know what to say. Well, Hushai determined he was going to stand for Jesus, and God gave him exactly what he needed to say. I want you to notice, as I just read in these verses 16 through 19, the words that he uses. He never once called Absalom by name, did he? He never says to Absalom, I acknowledge you as king. God gave him the wisdom on what to say and how to say it. Basically, he said this, God saved the king, God saved the king. He was standing in front of Absalom and he said, God saved the king, God saved the king. Now, Absalom and his arrogance thought Hushai was saying, God save Absalom. But Hushai believed in all his heart and was rightfully so to know that David was the king. So he was actually praying for the king right in front of the imposter. He had the wisdom of the words to say, this is a smart cookie. And then notice, whom the Lord and the people choose as king, that's who I will serve. He never said, Absalom, God chose you. He never said, the people at large will end up choosing you, Absalom. He says, whoever God chooses and the people choose, that's who I'm going to serve. Sitting there in his mind having faith, all the way reaching back to 2 Samuel 7, when God gave David a covenant saying, you're going to be king. He had faith in God's word and said, whoever God chooses, that's who I'm going to serve. Absalom sits back and says, well, 
It looks like God has chosen me. See how he has the wisdom of discourse. And then I love this. He looks at him and says, As I have served in my Father's presence, so will I serve in thy presence. So he told the imposter king, Absalom, the, the leader of the coup, Just like I served in David's presence, I will serve in your presence. I'm not going to change how I'm serving at all. Just like I served David in front of him, I'm going to serve in front of you. And there he was right there serving King David as he always said. You say, well, preacher, that's kind of deceitful. Come on now. As if you never have been deceitful. And if you read your Bible clear, do you remember Rahab the harlot? When she was hiding the spies in her house, they came, the soldiers came and said, Hey, are the spies in there? And she goes, No. <laughs> and we write her off as a dirty, low down, good for nothing liar. But God didn't condemn her. This isn't deception, this is wisdom of discourse. He never called him king, he never acknowledged him as king, and he basically said, I'm going to keep on doing what I've always done, Absalom. I'm going to keep on doing what I've always done. And he did. This is the wisdom of discourse. But notice that's not all. Look at verse 20. He gave him the wisdom of discretion. And then said Absalom to Hithophel. He turns to Hithophel. Now, give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel the betrayer said unto Absalom, Go in unto your father's concubines, which he has left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. And so they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had required of the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. It sounded real smart. Absalom, or Ahithophel, told Absalom, Your father has left ten of his concubines. Now remember that? When he fled, he left ten, saying, Keep the house. I'm coming back. Keep the house. And we all know David's wrong in this. And the, the abuse and mistreatment of women in that culture. We, we've already preached a sermon on that. But here, Ahithophel says, go up to the top of the roof. Put you a tent. And go into your father's concubines. That was, a, that was a symbolic method of saying, I'm the king now. And all of Israel will know you have abhorred the king and you have been successful in your coup and they will turn to you in mass. And that's what Absalom did. And this is in keeping with what God told David in 2 Samuel 12 after David had sinned and committed adultery and murdered to cover it up. God said, you did this in private. In secret. But I'm going to show the consequences of your sin under the sun. Everybody's going to see. 
And so Absalom goes up on the very same roof that David walked on to view Bathsheba. In the very same roof. And puts a tent up. And commits fornication and adultery in the eyes of all Israel to say, I am king now. Now that's interesting. But something else that's interesting is Hushai. Standing there in the palace, just told Absalom, just like I, I, I served before, I'm going to keep on serving. Whoever God chooses and the people choose to be king, that's who I'm going to serve. Ahithophel says to Absalom, go up and sleep with these women, the king's concubines, your father's concubines. Hushai stays quiet. He never says a word. He doesn't. He, he doesn't jump in and say, wait, 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 wait. That's bad advice. Nope. He practices discretion with his comments. He knows that this is a symbol of Absalom's kingship. But he knows that many times symbolism is far from the substance. And it really doesn't mean anything in reality. So he kept quiet. Now we wish he'd stood for those women, but the kingdom's at stake, and so he's silent. And in the context here, this is wisdom. This is the wisdom of discretion. Be careful about the guy who tries to fight everything. He's saying, this battle right here is not worth fighting over. I might win this battle, but I might lose the whole war. He had discretion. We like to say it this way. There's hills to die on, and there's hills to not die on. I remember earlier on in the pastor, you get all kinds of questions from people, all kinds of advice. They say, my son wants to have long hair. I don't like that hair. It's just long hair. What do I do? And, and folks, I don't care. I mean, good grief. Don't ask me. I mean, <laughs> if I tell your son cut his hair, what's he going to say? It's just hair. There's some battles just not worth fighting. And plus, you, you want to win a heart, not an argument. And so, he has discretion. Let me tell you, the, the, the person who tries to fight everything becomes like the little boy who cried wolf. You know? And so, he had the wisdom of discretion. He knew when he needed to stand up and he knew when he needed to sit down. He knew when he needed to speak up. And he knew when he needed to shut up. Now, we're going to see when he needs to speak up. He gave him the wisdom, not only of, of discourse, the words to say and how to say them. Not only the wisdom of discretion, what, what, what in particular to address and what not to address, but he also gave him the wisdom of discernment, and he'll give it to you when you stand for Jesus. Look at chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, so here comes the advice of Ahithophel was like God's word to everybody. 
Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned. So all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom, pleased him well, and all the elders of Israel. And so Ahithophel's feeling pretty good about now, but notice what Absalom does. Then said Absalom, Call now Hushai the archite also, and let us hear likewise what he has to say. I want a second opinion. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken after this manner. Shall we go after his saying, follow his advice? If not, speak up. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, for said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father, and you know his men who are with him. And they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds, as a bear robbed of her whelps. In the field, and thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit or in some other place, and it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever hears it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom, and he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knows that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore, I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in your own person. Absalom, you go personally. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth to the ground. And of him that of all men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into the city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. You remember when David was on the run and found out that Absalom was coming into Jerusalem to take the throne in a coup, he prayed when he found out that Ahithophel was on Absalom's side, had betrayed him, he prayed and he said, Lord, let not the counsel of Ahithophel stand. Turn this counsel of this wise man that everybody listens to. And then all of a sudden, Hushai shows up and David says, you're my friend, go back. Well, that was the answer to prayer. That was an answer to David's prayer. And here is real, it really comes into play. He has the wisdom of discernment. Now, Ahithophel said, let's go get him right now. Let's go get him right now because everybody's tired 
And uh, they're going to flee, and we'll get to David immediately, and we'll wipe him out. One, just one man will kill David, and that'll be it. And everybody else will run to you. Military strategists who have studied the, the battles of Israel in the Old Testament say that if Absalom had followed Ahithophel's advice, he would have won the battle that night. It would have been done. It would have been over for David. But God's involved, you see. God's involved. Proverbs 16, 1 says, thoughts and plans are in man, but, but God is the one who determines what's going to happen. And so he turned the thinking of Absalom and all those elders and leaders, and Hushai comes in and he gives this advice. He, it's as if he's saying, Absalom, no, 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 uh, you don't need to do this. And then he had the ability to discern how to propose his plan. See, sometimes when you're standing up for Jesus, you have good intentions, but you make your, uh, your, your presentation and your stand in a garbage can. And the way you say it, and how you say it, and how you present yourself, steals away from the purpose you're trying to accomplish in Christ. But Hushai had discernment. He knew how to, how to appeal to Absalom, and he appealed to three things in Absalom. God gave him wisdom. First of all, in the arrogant pride of Absalom, to the sinful flesh that dominated Absalom. Remember, Absalom was the pretty boy. He had hair, I mean, his hair weighed five pounds. Every year he'd cut it and it weighed three to five pounds. He sprinkled it with gold dust and silver dust according to the, to the old rabbi. He was, a, he was good looking. Everybody thought he, he was wonderful because of the way he looked. He had it. He had the look. If, if they were making a brochure for Israel, he'd be on it. And so he had all of that, and he was prideful and arrogant, a sinful flesh. And you remember Hushai said this. We just read it. He said... Let's buy some time and go throughout Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south. And you rally Israel to your side. They will follow you, Absalom. They will follow you. And then he said, they need your courage to lead them. You go to battle all out there leading the battle. You go yourself personally. So he appealed to Absalom's pride. And then the appealing, he used word pictures. Did you notice that? Ahithophel was just matter of fact. Let me do one, two, three, four. This is what I want to do scientifically. One, two, three, four. But Hushai painted a picture. He said, you know your dad's a valiant man. And they're mad right now. They're like a bear robbed of its cubs. And that got that picture in his mind. And then he said, the men who follow your daddy are like lions. And, and if you don't, don't approach it in a certain way, those lions are going to pounce on you. But if you approach it in my way, their hearts will melt. And we will pounce on them like the morning dew on a pasture field. See, he knew the human mind was a cinema. What, didn't another teacher show up in the New Testament who, who spoke in pictures? 
I think his name was Jesus. And so here you got this, this man who's able to communicate in pictures. And by the way, if you're a Sunday school teacher or a preacher in our church today and, and you're listening to this sermon, uh, this is a good lesson for preaching and teaching. Paint the picture. And I need to work on that, I know. But that's what he did. The mind is a picture gallery. It's not a classroom. And so he appealed in pictures. And then he also knew the appointed purpose of God. If you read the last verse, verse 14, he said, it says, For the Lord had appointed to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. He knew, Hushai knew he was the answer to David's prayer. And sure enough, that's what happened. And everybody got excited. Oh, the first time Ahithophel ever heard anything like this in the palace when they said, Ahithophel's counsel is not as good as Hushai. That just crushed this man, I'm sure. It just defeated him. He had never been told that his counsel was not as good as somebody else's. And so God will give you wisdom when you stand for Jesus. He'll give you wisdom of discernment and discourse and discretion to know exactly where to stand, what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. And then the second thing God will give you, He will give you courage. So it was already set up. David's out there in the field. He's Tossing and turning, no doubt. If I were David, that's what I'd be doing. People are hungry. People are tired, weary. His army is not yet organized. He doesn't know what's happening in the palace. He doesn't know all of this. He doesn't know that Hushai has been used by God to overthrow the sound strategic advice of Ahithophel. He doesn't know any of this. Isn't it hard to not know? It's hard to not know. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, it's set up. You remember the two priests that David sent back? Well, they have two sons that we're going to read about right now. All right? One of them's named is Ahimaaz. I want you to circle the name Ahimaaz because he's going to show up later and, and kind of be a disappointment to us. But right now, I want you to read the courage that these men who stood up for Jesus had. I'm just going to read to you the account, and, and then we'll move on. Look at verse 15. Then said Hushai unto Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, and that pass over the Jordan River is what they're going to do, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz, that's the two priest's sons respectively, they stayed in Enrogel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a young lady went and told them, and they went and told King David. See, the message is being related. Nevertheless, a lad saw them. A little boy saw them. And told Absalom. A little 
sneak. But they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim. So he's in the tracks of David. This, this lad has tipped off Absalom. And these two men, uh, uh, Hemaz and Jonathan, they, they, they got to kind of change plans. They got to be on the run. They got to be sneaky. And they go to a man's house in Bahurim. Bahurim was where David had the rocks thrown at him. Remember that? So it's not a friendly town. And it says, and he came to a man's house in Bahurim, which had a well in his court, whither they went down. So they went down. They knew they were after him. They knew Absalom's men were after him, so they hid in a well. And the woman, apparently the wife of the man, took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. Isn't that exciting? Wouldn't that make a good movie? And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They be gone over the brook of water, and when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. That lying woman, how dare she tell a lie? Let me tell you something. In war, we got to lie, cheat, and steal to win sometimes. Amen? Now, don't take that quote out of context. I'm going to get you if you do. God doesn't condemn it, and neither do we, all right? And it came to pass after they were departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath the hith of hell canceled against you. And David arose and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan. By the morning light, they're like not one of them that was not gone over Jordan. God gave them ability to move that mass of people across the Jordan River. Moved him across the Jordan River. What courage that took. But they took it. And they did it. You know, when you stand for Jesus, God will give you wisdom. And then he will give you courage to do what needs to be done. And that's what they did. And all along the way, God provides. They were in Bahurim. Bahurim was where Saul's family was. They could have very well knocked on the wrong door and had been Saul's cousin. What, what if it was the rock thrower from Saul's family? What if, what if? But they had courage. And God led them. And they knocked on the right man's house. He had a courtyard. And in the courtyard was the well. The well wasn't outside somewhere where he'd be seen by another little boy who would tip him off. No, it was inside the courtyard. And they climbed down in that well. They probably didn't know these people from Adam. Can you imagine Jonathan and Ahimaaz holding on in that well? And I imagine if it was me and one of my buddies, I'd have looked at him and said, You reckon they're going to come back? You don't reckon they're going to cut this rope? And they covered it up. God provides wisdom. He'll give you courage. And when you act on that courage, He will take care of it. He'll bless it. He'll bless it. And then there's a third thing. God will give you strength. God will give you strength when you stand for Jesus. It wasn't only people inside the city that night, Hushai and Zadok and Abiathar and Ahimaaz and Jonathan... 
There was a lot of people standing for David that night. Some of them were with him, standing strong with David. When they received the news from these two brave men, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, what did they have to do? They had to cross over the Jordan River. It wasn't a miraculous crossing like it was in the days of Joshua when, when the waters split. Wasn't anything powerful like when Elijah split the waters and they walked through. They had to ford through the river, walk on through. Some of them couldn't swim. Some of them had heavy packs. Some of them had young children. Can you just imagine that night not knowing who's behind you? The urgency of it. You better get across and get across now. They're after you. They're coming. You're going to be wiped out if you don't. And hundreds of people having to cross. Disorganized. Disheveled. Tired. Hungry. But the Bible says that they all made it across. So let's look and see what happens. And uh, we skip down and we read in verse 24. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. Absalom hot on his heels with his army. David goes into the city of Mahanaim. Remember Hushai had counseled him, if they're in a city, we'll tear it down stone by stone. Well, David's in a city. It's the same city that Saul's son... Ishbosheth, remember him, fled to to launch the civil war against David. You see how things turn. How tragic is that? Just think of the symbolism in that. David says, this is where my enemies once were. When I was secure on the throne, this is where the civil war started. This was the headquarters of the enemy. It'd be like Churchill hiding in Munich or in Berlin. Can you imagine how discouraging this must have been and how frightful it must have been? But David stays there, and it's amazing what happens. And so we see verse 24 or verse 25, but Absalom, Absalom crosses over Jordan. He marshals his army together, and look what he does in verse 25. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the host instead of Joab, which Amasa was a man's son whose name was Ithra, an Israelite, and went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister to Zerah, Joab's mother. So he made David's cousin his captain. So more of the family is turning against David. And so Israel and Absalom pitched, the tent, the, uh, pitched in the land of Gilead, close by. Absalom is organizing his army, establishing his captains, establishing his, his generals, getting a strategy up. And David is wore out and hungry and disheveled and discouraged and frightened. And his army is in ragtags. Just think how bad this looks. But then, something happened. Something incredible happened. God provided for them. God gave them strength. Look at verse 27. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim... That's way out, the furthest reach you could go in the kingdom. Couldn't run any further. The Bible says that Shobi, the son of Nahash, 
and of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel, of the city of Lodabar, and Barzaliel, or Barzila, the Gilead of Rogelim, they brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse. Y'all know what all that is? Lentils, that's just Mike Barnett Hebrew butter beans. Purple whole peas and cornbread. Amen. I would say fat back, but these, these are Jewish people. Beef ribs and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of cows for David and for the people that stood with him and for him that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. God provided them strength to keep going. Listen, you stand for Jesus in your situation to determine to do right, to do His will, and be true to Him. He'll give you wisdom, He'll give you courage, and He'll give you strength when you need it. The tide is about to turn. But right now, I want to give you four lessons we learn from this. Number one, Hushai stood for David, he did not simply stand against Absalom. He stood for David. Let me tell you something, folks. If you only stand against sin, you'll become angry, and you'll become bitter, and you'll become useless. But if you stand for Jesus, you'll be victorious. You'll have all you'll need. You'll have wisdom. You'll have courage. You'll have strength. And that means you'll have confidence and joy in the fight and in the battle. You follow me? Let's stand for Jesus. Amen. Let's stand for Jesus. So many times we... we, we when we stand against sin and not stand... You can stand against sin by not standing for Jesus. We got wonderful conservative politicians who stand against abortion and they stand against uh, all kinds of things that are sinful and wicked in our country, but they don't know Jesus no more than this speaker's system does. Matter of fact, speaker system knows more of Jesus than they do. And they're not saved. But I want to tell you, when you stand for Jesus... God will give you these things, and He'll plan for victory because you're standing for Him. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? Please don't misinterpret what I'm about to say. But folks, I want to tell you, uh, what good in eternity if we close down every abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi, which has been done, and we close it down in America, I hope we do. So we should. God honors life. This is the sanctity of human life month. But I think if we stand before God and say, look, we closed down abortion. He's going to say, well, what about the wicked doctors? They know they need to be saved and how to be saved from their sin. 
What about that young mother who chose life and you convinced her to choose life? Did you tell her about eternal life? Did you tell her how to be saved? What about that? We eradicated gay marriage in our country. It's gone. We got the Supreme Court. They reversed their previous decision. God, didn't we do something impressive? Yes, you honored marriage, but what about the homosexual? Do they know of their need of Jesus? Did you seek to win them to me in salvation, or did you just stop them from getting married? Now, whether you're upset about that or not, or, or, or got your hair cut about that or not, that's good preaching whether you like it or not. We got to stand for Jesus. We can stand against sin all day long, but we better stand for Jesus. People need to realize, oh, that, that, that they're going to tell you about Jesus. Because I want to tell you what, a man gets saved and gets Jesus in his heart and gets, gets biblically converted to Christ, he'll be all right in time to come. Amen? He'll be all right in time to come. You've got to get the heart right before you can get the hands right. But we're just too busy cutting off the hands and ignoring the heart. He stood for Jesus. He didn't go in there and say, all right, I got me a big old blade. As soon as I can, I'm going to cut Absalom's head off. No, he let God take care of Absalom. He stood for David. He stood for David. Amen. That wasn't in, in my idea but today. That wasn't what I was supposed to say today, but I said it. Another lesson we learn is God is sovereign. No council is going to overthrow the sovereign will of God. None. He had promised David he'd be king and he'd have a king forever on the throne and Solomon would be king. You're not going to mess up God's purpose, I promise you, and plans with your rebellion. So why rebel against God? You're not going to mess him up. The preparations of the heart uh, in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. God is going to fulfill his purpose. Amen. And then, here's another great lesson we have. David is out in Mahanaim. It is the, the city on the border. It'd be, it'd be like if you lived in Texas, you, you come to Brownsville, and that's it. Or heading, heading into Louisiana, you come to Elysian Fields, and, and that's the last city in Texas going into Louisiana. It's like going to El Paso. When you reach there, you're in the far reaches, not anywhere else you can go. I guess it's like Ocean Springs, I mean, uh, or Horn Island. I mean, once you get past that, you in, uh, you in South America. Well, here they are in Mahanaim, way out. He, there's nowhere else he can flee and still be in Israel. He's tired, he's weary, and he's wondering what's going on. When he's on the run, he doesn't hear any news at first. He doesn't see God's work in Jerusalem. Just remember this. When you're waiting for news and you're not hearing anything, God is at work where the news is coming from. Because look at it this way. The only time in this text... Where God is mentioned in our text today is in Jerusalem. 
That's where God's at work. And so, God is at work where the news is going to come from. Just stay standing for Jesus. And then we have a fourth lesson. We, we're, we're trying to ask the question in these messages, where is Jesus in all of this? Well, I see him in many places. I see him in teaching, how he taught. But there's one more thing. Look, look at verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and rose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Terrible suicide. Suicide is always, always a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And also, suicide negates the possibilities that God has for you. The plan that God has for you. The fact of the business is, Ahithophel did not have to die. Now here's his thinking. I served the king for many years. First hint of a real rebellion. I side with his son Absalom. I give Absalom counsel. He's smart enough and wise enough to know that when his counsel was refused and the counsel of Hushai was accepted, he knew who Hushai was and what Hushai was about. He knew what was going on. He was wise enough to know that. He said, I'm done. David's going to judge me. David's going to execute me. My life is over. When David returns, I'll be the first one he executes for treason. But the fact of the matter is, Ahithophel really didn't know David as much as he thought he did. David was gracious. We're going to see, and we've already seen as we are in 2 Samuel, David's graciousness. Do you remember Shammai we talked about a while ago? Of the household of Saul who's throwing rocks and cursing David. Uh, 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 one who, who had more of a legal right to claim the throne than Absalom did. He's throwing rocks and, and Abishai says, let me go cut his head off. And David says, no, no not going to happen. He, he's not going to see, Ahithophel is not going to see what David tells Absalom, uh, his army next week when he says, when we onward Christian soldiers and David goes out to war, his men go out to war and David says, my standing order is to deal gently with the young man Absalom. Don't kill him. I'm being gracious and merciful. And we're going to see later down the road where David is gracious and merciful. Dear friend, David would extend grace to Hithophel. There's Jesus in that. You don't have to die because or in your sin. You don't have to die looking upon God as someone who is going to judge you harshly. You can turn to His grace 
and His mercy and be saved and forgiven and actually be a part of the kingdom. Would Ahithophel been a part of David's kingdom? Probably not anymore, but David has a greater son named Jesus who does above what you can ask or think. And who, you who were once a rebel against his kingdom, by living your own life, you can come to him humbly in repentance of your sin and receive him and be a part of his kingdom. One of his children, as a matter of fact. An heir, even, to his kingdom. You can know Jesus as your Savior. I pray that you will stand up, stand up for Jesus. And receive his wisdom, his courage, and his strength. And be positive with the message that David, that Jesus is a gracious, merciful king. I pray you will. Let's stand for our song of appeal.